Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Long Hill Chapel. We are so glad that you're here. If you're watching online, this is a great morning to do that, by the way, because it's raining out like crazy. But if you're in the room, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming out in the rain, getting a little bit wet and being here. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill. And today we just have so many exciting things going on. As you just heard in the announcements, that meeting after church, by the way, if even if you're not a member, if you'd like to hear a little bit of our vision for how, especially we see our facilities as the church continues to grow, as new folks come, uh, we'll be doing that as well and sharing a little bit of that. You can feel free to stay. If it's raining out hard, you can stay and then leave when it stops raining, whatever works for you. But uh, we would love for you to consider doing that. Well, we are in this this weird period in uh, the September-August transition, right? This is the thing where you feel like fall is coming, but it's not here yet. Does anyone feel that way? It's like, you know, you're, you're, some of you have broken out the pumpkin spice products already. We won't get into that. There's very much people who are pro-pumpkin spice and people who are anti-pumpkin spice. But you're hanging on, but it still feels like summer out. And so we're in this kind of gap in between. Next week, we're going to kick off a new series and kick off a lot of our programming. But this week, we're kind of in the middle. Now, one of the things I want to do as we go forward as a church, when we're in these kind of gap weeks where it's something's ending and something's starting, is have this recurring feature uh, that we call what we do here. And what this is, is this is some of the informal values that guide us as a church. These aren't printed on a program somewhere. They're not, you know, framed on a wall somewhere. But they're things, they're ways that we interact with each other that are how we do it here. And it doesn't mean that there's not other ways to do it, but they're things that we feel like define kind of who Long Hill is and, and make us the church uh, that we are. You know, in my household, my wife, Grace, and I, we both cook. My wife, Grace, is a far better cook than I am. She, anything she lays her hand to is, is the best version of whatever that thing is. And I can say that honestly. And Grace, if you're watching, you can thank me later. Um, but when we cook, we have a very different way of going about cooking. And maybe this is true for you or true in your house as well. Uh, I am the person who gets things out one at a time, I use them. If it's a dish, I wash it as soon as I'm done with it, and I put it on the drying rack. And that's how we do it when I cook. When my wife cooks, she gets the whole kitchen out. And as I said, her results are far superior to mine. So I'm not saying one is right and the other is wrong, but everything is out. And she cooks and cooks and cooks. And she usually, she's like, she'll start like, oh, I'm going to cook one thing. And by the time she's done, she's cooked like 27 different things. And they're all amazing. But everything in the kitchen is out. And then we have to go through and we have to wash it all. And it's just a different way of experiencing cooking in our house. Now, we've been married for 23 years. And I think literally the only time we really get into arguments are when there's some confusion about which system we're using in that area or one of the other areas. And maybe you have some of those as well. You know, maybe you have these traditions or these things that you value as a family. There's a week that you always go on vacation together. Or there's a place that you all go on vacation together. All of you Disney adults, I am talking to you right now. And so there's just this thing that you do that you value. Maybe it's Friday night and it's always pizza night or you have a standing date night with your husband or your wife. Or, you know, you always try to go to bed, go to bed at the same time together as a family or as a couple. All of those things are important to you. All of us do them a little bit differently. They're, they're values, but they're informal ones. Meaning there's not like a brochure that's handed out when you come in the room. You know, there's not something that's on the wall. It's just a practice that guides 
who you are or who your family is or in our case, who our church is. And whether or not you've worked it out or not or you've actually kind of, you know, you've put language to it or not, there's a reason behind all of those things. There's something that makes them important to you. It's not just the thing that you do together or the thing that you value. It's what it represents for you. And the same is true for us here as a church at Long Hill Chapel. It's really true for any church or any organization, but it's true for us. And so what we've been trying to do over the time is, is say, what are the things that make us tick uniquely here? What are the things that we do that define how we operate? And so as we go through the future, periodically we're going to come back and we're going to highlight another one of these and we're going to revisit it. And today we're going to do one that you've probably heard. Sometimes one of us will be up here giving an announcement or you'll be talking to us and we'll say this phrase that then guides what we do next. And that phrase today is, we pray now, not later. We pray now, not later. You know, if you've heard me pray for you after church, like if you said, hey, I really am going through this thing and I'm struggling, um, usually what I'll do or what one of our staff or leaders will do is they say, we have this value where we pray now, not later, and we'll pray for you right then. Awkwardly, I've been in restaurants a few times where it's like, you know, so we have this thing going on. I'm like, we're going to pray right now, and we're not going to do it later. And this seems like a really simple thing. It seems kind of self-evident, right? You know, if you're a Christian person or a person of faith or a Jesus follower, you know, yes, we know that the scriptures say that we should pray without ceasing. It's something we ought to do. But as I said, with these values, there's something behind them that shows why they're really actually important. And it actually shows us something that we believe about God and about prayer and when we do it or we don't do it. So first of all, let's just start off with a basic definition. What is prayer? You know, some of you grew up in a tradition where all the prayers were printed out or, you know, the, the pastor or the priest or whoever it was, they said the thing and you kind of followed along and maybe they said a line and you said a line. You know, maybe you grew up in a different tradition where it was just like people were swinging from the chandeliers and it was really pretty insane. And they have a different way of looking at prayer. But prayer, very simply, as we understand it, is conversation with God. It's a conversation with God. And every one of those words in that sentence is extremely important. You know, it's not a monologue where we just talk. There's a time where we listen. When you think about how you have a conversation with somebody, it takes different forms. But there's always an organic element to it. You are you and they are them in the best conversations. There are some conversations where you write things out because you want to make sure that you get the right things right. You know, maybe there was a time where you asked your significant other to marry you and you wanted to get all the points down or you did your vows in a wedding and it was a conversation, but it was a very precise conversation. There are times where we do that. But what this is, is it defines how we engage with prayer. That prayer isn't something that we have to prepare well in advance for. It's not something we have to do in a specific time. It's not something we have to do in a specific place. There are times and places where that is done, but it's not confined to those things. And that defines how we engage in it. Because I think very often prayer is something that we look at we say, well, that's something that we should do in church, or that's something we should do during a meal, or that's something we should do when we can't find our car keys, or that's something we should do when something really bad happens. And all of those things are true, but it's also so much more than that as well. You know, 
I have this thing that happens to me, and it's one of the reasons I love our value of we pray now and not later. Have you ever, uh, confession time, have you ever had someone uh, ask you to pray for them and then you forgot? They're like, would you be praying for me this week at this specific time? And, then, and the time goes by, and you're like, oh no, I forgot to do it. Uh, that's me. I can't remember what I did three minutes ago. But there's this thing that happens when we do that, and, and it's something that I was thinking about very much this week. The things that we think are important, we prioritize, right? The things that we think are important, we prioritize. The things that we think are critically important, we do them immediately. So there's things that are important that we try to prioritize. Some of you, as you go into the fall, you've been eating way too many barbecue, outdoor, backyard. You're the person who gets an extra burger. I am that person. Praise the Lord. Next week, hopefully the weather's not like this. We're going to do that. We're going to eat like crazy. But you're like, man, I've got to get back on the horse. I've got to get back to exercising. And we try to prioritize it. But the things that are critically important, we do them immediately. And maybe you're not a Jesus follower this morning. Maybe uh, you're just a person who came in because it was raining outside or someone said there's free coffee here and you're like yes I don't have to go to Starbucks whatever the reason is we're glad you're here but this is something that applies to your entire life imagine this you walk into your kitchen at home and a fire has started in a pan on the stove what do you do in that moment you say, man, I'm watching Netflix right now. It's great. I'll get to this later. I'll come back to this a little bit later. No, you drop everything and you deal with it because it's a critically important issue. And so this seems obvious to us. This is not, I have not told you anything that doesn't make sense that you don't already know. But there's this thing that happens with us that we put certain things off, right? We just delay certain things. We know they're important. We know we ought to do them. We know we ought to get on that, but we just push them off. And the reason for that is especially here where we live in New Jersey, our lives are really crowded. They're really crowded all the time. There's like everything is asking for your attention. It's asking for your attention urgently. Do you have one of those coworkers who uses the double exclamation point urgent thing on their email all the time? Like everything is critically urgent, must be addressed immediately. That's how our lives feel so often is that everything is urgent. There's always something that's demanding our attention. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky for us is that many of the things in our lives that demand urgency aren't actually that urgent. And the things that are really important often don't feel so urgent. So there's these things you're saying, you've got to deal with me now, and some of them that you do. But there's some other ones that just feel that way, and they're not actually that way. But then there's some other things that are really important, and because of all of those other voices and noises and priorities and things like that, they continually get pushed down. Think about that doctor's appointment that you've been putting off. Let, let me tell you a story, or think about that light that's on. In, how many of you have a light on in your car? Some of you have a light on in your car. It's okay. This is, this is a, a place full of grace and mercy. Um, we have a light on in our car. I have a light on in my car. I'll just confess that. It's not one of the bad lights. It's one of the ones you should do something about this. There was this one time uh, about 15 years ago, I was commuting a lot at this point in my life out to New York and everything like that. And so every day was just jam-packed. And I, I heard my back brakes begin to grind in my SUV a little bit. 
And I was just like, oh, I should do something about that. But I'm like, I know enough about brakes. Most of the braking's done in the front. We'll get to it eventually. I ground the brake shoes all the way through the pads, through the back of the pad, into the cylinder, and the brake fluid leaked out, and I no longer had brakes because I'd put it off so long. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. But it was something that was actually really important that didn't feel urgent in the moment. And that brings us back, by the way, to prayer. We put off prayer, we put off praying many times, not because we don't think it's important, but because we don't feel like it's all that urgent. Most of us in this room are like, yeah, that's important. You know, I go to church, I believe in God, I have a relationship with Jesus. We should pray. We should pray for people, we should pray for things, we should pray for situations. It's important, but very often it doesn't feel urgent to us. And here's another wrinkle. I'm going to kind of uncover a couple of wrinkles with this. Even if it does feel urgent, there's many of us in this room that feel like we don't know how to do it right. So we don't know the right words to say. We don't know how to get God's attention with the right language. It just feels like this, this, this awkward thing that we're not really well equipped to be doing. Now, there's studies that say that public speaking uh, there are many people in life who actually would prefer to die than actually have to speak in public. So death is above public speaking in, the, in, in terms of things that, 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 that people like. And prayer kind of feels like that. It's kind of like this awkward public speaking thing that you do with God. And so we just, we don't really know how to do it, and we don't feel like we, we, we have an understanding of it. Or maybe you came from a, a tradition where someone else did it for you, or there was the, the trained clergy always took care of the prayers, or they were written out in the program, or whatever it is. And so we just don't feel like when it comes to trying to have a conversation with God that we know how to do it. But think about that conversation thing again. What is a conversation? It's when you who are fully you commune with someone else. Maybe you're sitting next to someone who has now uh, developed a relationship with you, that their husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or you're really good friends. There was that first awkward conversation that you had. It wasn't organic, you didn't know the right words, but it led somewhere, and now you have a relationship with that person. I would say that prayer is exactly the same way. You know, one of the things, and I, I, I hope I don't embarrass him too much because he's in the room, but one of my favorite things to do is to pray with my son Christopher every night. And he actually started it. He was the one who's like, Daddy, can we pray? And so we do it every night. And it started out like he was trying to figure out the right words to say. But over time, it's like it's just he's, he's become this um, just amazing person to pray with. And it's so amazing to do that. But it starts somewhere. We have to start it somewhere. And some of you, the thing that's been checking you out of doing this is that you feel like you don't know how to do it right. There is no right the only right is when you, whoever you are, wherever you are, in whatever position you are with God, you show up as you. You can be honest with God. He can take it. You can fumble over your words. That's not the thing that matters. It's the heart that's behind it. But there's another angle, too. And it's this. And this is a difficult one for some of us. And frankly, this is a difficult one for me. Sometimes... We feel like we've prayed. We've taken the chance. We've prayed for someone. We've prayed for something. And it just doesn't feel like anything happened. 
It just doesn't feel like it made any difference at all. God, honestly, if we were to be truly honest with ourselves, he seemed like he was silent, or he seemed like he was absent, or maybe he just seemed like he was inattentive. We didn't know how to get his attention in the right way, or he wasn't paying attention, or he doesn't care. And I think that's one of the mysteries that we have as we explore, as we try to understand what prayer is. But remember what I said. It's a conversation. It's an interaction. It's this thing that we do. It's not about getting something. It's not about getting an answer, even though that feels like what we do it for so many times. We ask that God would bless the food and give us traveling mercies and give us a hedge of protection and do this and take care of that. And he does those things and he hears those prayers, but there's so much more to it. Because when you have a conversation with somebody, what it's fundamentally about is the relationship. There are times where my wife will ask me to do something or I'll ask her to do something, you know, or my son will ask me or my other son will ask me or I'll ask them. But fundamentally, the reason that we interact with each other is because of the relationship. And so it's not about the right words. It's not about being impressive. It's not even about getting the right outcomes. It's about the heart that's behind it. And that's where I want to begin to shift our thinking when it comes to this issue of prayer and where us as a church we can begin to shift how we operate in it because as I've gotten older I've begun to believe that prayer changes me as much as it changes things prayer changes me as much as it changes things as much as it changes the circumstances of our lives Today, we're going to look at a short passage in the New Testament book of James. And it's short, and you're like, finally, he's talking about the Bible. It's about time. And it's where some early Christians were trying to figure this prayer thing out just a little bit better. And so one of the early leaders of the church, this man named James, is writing to early Christians, and he begins to frame out the issue of prayer as these folks were trying to understand it and begin to embrace it just like we would. And at the end of the book of James, the letter that he wrote uh, in chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, he writes this. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. We're going to come back to all that in just a second. You know, this is one of those passages. I don't know if you've watched any late-night televangelists. I, I have this uh, morbid fascination with late-night uh, religious television. There's this idea that, you know, if you just say the right words, that you will never be sick again. You know, if you just can do it the right way, if you do it enough, if you work hard enough at it, then you'll get whatever the thing is that you want. And it's easy to take this passage and it's easy to twist it into that. But what James is kind of saying here, as you look at how this was originally written, is he's saying, go to God with the good, with the bad, and with the ugly. Go to God with the good things in life. When things are going well, you commune with God. You have a conversation with God. When things are difficult, you have a conversation with God. When things just feel like the you-know-what has hit the fan, you can have a conversation with God. You know, sometimes I'll come home at the end of the day, or my wife will come home at the end of the day, and we'll just have had a tough day, and we'll talk to each other, and very often I'm not asking her to fix 
the situation. And she's not asking me to fix the situation. And men, by the way, if your wife has one of these conversations with you, she's probably not asking you to fix the situation. But she wants to share the burden, or he wants to share the burden, or you do that, and you do it together. James talks about this fact that if you're sick, you can go to the elders, to the leaders, to the pastors of the church, and they will anoint you with oil and pray in faith on your behalf. And we do that here at Long Hill Chapel. That is available to you, but there's nothing magical about it. That's something I want you to understand. It's not like we're magical or the oil is magical. There's nothing that's true about that. There's something, though, that is absolutely the case about bringing your struggles into the community of faith and allowing your burdens to be shared with someone else, where truth can be spoken, where you can be reminded, where you can be encouraged, and where we can walk that together. And yes, God does work in all sorts of ways into the midst of that. That is an incredibly powerful thing. In this passage, that word sick can also be translated, actually more accurately, it can be translated as weak. You know what, friends, there are times, and maybe you can relate to this too, there's times where I just feel profoundly overwhelmed. This year has been one of those years for me. Frankly, this week has been one of those weeks for me. You can relate to that. We can relate to that. But there's this thing that happens when we bring it to God and we bring it to God with other people where the burden begins to be lifted and the power of that thing begins to be broken. You know, in the Old Testament times, that anointing thing, which is kind of a weird thing, we don't really do that anywhere else in our lives, but in the Old Testament, they would anoint kings. They would anoint people who were a sign of God approving of what was happening. And so what I believe that this means is when we anoint somebody, when we do that, what we're saying is God approves of the fact that you have brought this out into the open, that you're sharing this burden, that you're sharing this struggle, and you're not trying to do it all on your own. And in the midst of that, God can do amazing things, but he can also lift your burden because that word made well isn't just about healing. It means to lift up, to lift out, to save, to preserve. There have been moments in my life where I'm at my wit's end. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you're at your wit's end. And you have the right conversation with the right person at the right time that allows you to keep on going. And so when we pray together, when we do it now, when we prioritize it, even if the words aren't right, even if the setting is not what we think it ought to be, even if we stumble over it, even if we don't know what we say, we are doing something where God always is at work, whether it's just in restoring our strength all the way to doing miraculous things on our behalf. And this wider understanding of what prayer is helps us understand where James goes next in verse 16. He says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, some of you who are here, you grew up in Catholic Church, and confession for you is something that you did in the back with the priest in a little room with a door, and you may or may not know that person, but you would you'd try to think of all the sins that you had committed and, and confess them 
to the priest. And so when you hear words like this, that's kind of what a lot of us have in mind. And, you know, some of you who didn't grow up in that tradition, you're like, ah, thank goodness I don't have to do that. You know, I went to Catholic school, and that was always something I was like, oh my goodness, there, there's this thing that we, we, we have to do. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's something we miss by not confessing our sins one to another. And here's what this isn't, by the way. This isn't just airing your baggage. It's not just like getting into the dirty details of your life. But there are things that you and I and us have been carrying alone for far too long. And what I know is that when you carry something alone, it has incredible power over you. It has incredible influence on your life. The words that that thing speaks, the lies that it says, it is something that incredibly influences you. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, maybe it was a kid where you did something and you knew you should have done it, and you just were like, you were guilt-wracked. I was that kid, by the way. And when you finally got it out into the open, it almost felt like a relief. There's a principle there I think that we've begun to miss. And this isn't that just at the end of service we're going to pray and you should come up and you should share your dirtiest, darkest secrets. That's not what it's saying here. But when we get all of those things out, when we say, here is my struggle, here is the thing I'm going through, here is the thing I'm facing out there, here's the thing that happened back behind me, the power of those things is broken. And if there's something that church is good for, it's having the power of those things broken in our lives. And some of you are like, I could never do that. What if people found out who I really was? The price is too high. Aren't you paying kind of a steep price now? Aren't you paying kind of a steep price now carrying that thing all around with you by yourself? And it's not getting fixed because you can't. But when you release it and the power of it is broken, God does something, and you can. Now, here's where I, I want to get really real and apologize to you on behalf of the church. Maybe not this church, but maybe a past church experience that you've had. Some of you, maybe actually quite a few of you, have been in a place of struggle, and you took a chance on it with church. You shared it with somebody. And the fact that you did that is one of the biggest regrets of your life because it blew up in your face. You know, I was talking to someone a few months ago on the phone here at Long Hill, and years and years ago, they had an experience like that. And it was before I was here, and you know, the church, it was a very different time. But I had to apologize to that person on behalf of this church, behalf of the experience that they had had on behalf of the chance that they had taken. And if that's you, I know it doesn't make it better, it doesn't just make it go away, but I apologize to you that that was your experience. And I'm so sorry. And I want to plead with you today. Take that chance again. Because I think here, now, you will find something that is profoundly different. I'm humbled, I'm so overwhelmed as your pastor that you, many of you, have, have taken the chance on sharing parts of your stories with me, with us. That's a profound honor that you would consider doing that. I want to make something so clear here to all of you. And this might rub some of you the wrong way. There are no righteous and sinners categories here. There's not like the 
group of you who has it all together or me who has it all together and the people of you who really need to get their stuff together. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. It says that clearly in the scriptures. The only righteousness we have, the only claim that we have to anything is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who's made the difference for me and is making the difference for me. And I have such a long way to go. But so there's not a group of you who are over here and a group of you who are over here. We are all here before God. And when we come to God, when we come boldly to the throne of grace, we find that he gives us his grace. He gives us his help. He responds to us in our time of need. And friends, that's why so often up here I try to share my own failings and my own shortcomings. It's not because you need to hear my dirty laundry, but you need to hear that I'm no different. That none of us here are any different. There's nobody who's graduated from grace in this room. Praise the Lord, because we are all in need of it every single day, every single moment. And the moment we move beyond that, we have moved beyond the work of Jesus, and there is no point to anything that we ought to do. So when we pray together, when we confess together, when we share together, we are reminding ourselves of the hope that we have, not in our goodness, but the hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone. And that is such good news, my friends. That is such good news. But we take all of it to God, together, with immediacy, immediacy and eagerness. And James, in our passage, he says, that kind of prayer does something. When we pray like that, it begins to change things. Friends, I believe that when we pray those kinds of prayers, things begin to change. They may not happen when we want. They may not be the things that we wish, but stuff begins to move and stuff begins to shift. And, and at the end of this little passage, he kind of gives an example of somebody. It's one of those kind of Bible Hall of Fame examples. In verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, by the way. He prayed urgently, earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That sounds like this amazing superstar of prayer. What this passage here does not say is what happened immediately after that in the story. So there's this amazing encounter that happens in the Old Testament where this guy Elijah, and by the way, we're gonna be talking about this in a few weeks. He's up on this mountain and there's some, uh, there's some prophets of this other deity of, of one of the local deities that are there as well. And they kind of have a, like they have a pray off. They have a sacrifice off, which God is gonna do the cool thing. And so all the prophets of this other deity named Baal, they're praying and they're making a bunch of noise and they start cutting themselves and dancing and nothing happens. And Elijah just starts to kind of mock them a little bit. It's a, it's a hilarious story. But then Elijah prays a simple prayer to God and fire comes down from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. And then he goes and he tells the king and the queen that were in charge and he says, go out and look because there's rain on the horizon. It hadn't rained in many, many years. It seems like this epic victory. What happens next is that queen, whose name was Jezebel, she says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah crumbles. So we've seen this miracle, this literal miracle happen, and he crumbles, and he runs away, and he hides under a tree, and he prays his prayers like, God, take my life. I wish I was dead. And so we see this epic hero moment, and right next to it, this moment of profound failure. And James uses this example because this defines our spiritual lives, too. There are times where we feel like it just all clicks. 
you had a moment or you had a season where it feels like it just all made sense. And then there's these other times where it feels like it's just crumbled apart and we're not sure why and we don't know what to do and we're ready to give up because all of us are part fighter and part runner. We're part fighter. We have these moments of faith and we have these moments where we throw our hands in the air, three steps forward, two steps back, part strong, part weak. And James is saying, he's just like you and you're just like him. You know, maybe there's someone that you look up to kind of as a hero of the faith. You look at them, they're like, when they pray, stuff happens. They believe through so much difficulty. James is saying, when it comes to prayer, they're exactly the same as you. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about them. It's not about the words that you say. It's not about how eloquent you are. Do you have those people who pray, they're like going to King James English, you're like, wow, where did this come from? It's not about that. It's all about It's all about God, but it's what we do when we come together, when we bear each other's burdens, where we share our weaknesses, where we're reminded that none of us have graduated from grace, that we're all on the journey, and it's all about what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. In a few weeks, we're actually gonna do a whole series talking about prayer, and talking especially about some of the roadblocks that we all encounter when it comes to prayer. But right now, as we look at this value, as we close our time of talking about how we pray now and not later as a church, I want to invite you to make this a value in your life. You know, when someone shares something with you, just say, hey, can we pray about that right now? Just for a moment. And yes, pray later as well. But step into that moment in faith because it's not only important, it's urgent. And just take that time and say, hey, I'd like to pray for you. You know, every week, and this week is no exception, we have a prayer team that'll be up here in the front. They'll be right over here to my left, your right. And after church, you can bring anything up. These folks will pray with you. They'll pray for you. They're trained. It's confidential. But you don't need to do that just that. You can do it yourself. You can do it with somebody else. I would love at the end of church if we, if there's just prayer broke out everywhere in the room, these little prayers in the parking lot and these little prayers in the lobby and these little prayers out there and a bunch of prayers here and prayers there. If we became that kind of church who bore each other's burdens and shared in this together and made this a habit, not only in our church, but in our lives, that we pray now and not later. You can say, hey, my church has this value. We pray now, not later, and so can I pray for you right now? It might be the first time you've done it. It might seem awkward, but remember, it's a conversation. That's all it has to be. Your words don't unlock anything. Your trusting in God does. And so here's a few takeaways for you. First one is this. Go to God in all things first. Go to God in all things first first. You know, we here in New Jersey, most, many of us are type A people. We live in a very type A place where we're always trying to make sure we have control and we manage and we take care of circumstances. We look out for everything. Go to God first. When there's that thing you don't know how to do it, go to God first. I've done that so much this year. I could do it more. 
But just go to God in all things first. Say a quick prayer. Just bring God into the midst of whatever you're struggling yourself through. Second is this. Give yourself permission. Give yourself the freedom to pray messy in eloquent prayers. You don't need to learn King James English. You don't need to go like figure out your these and your thous and your begats and all of that stuff. They can be messy and ineloquent. In fact, Jesus, who was uh, in, in, in the Gospels, he was talking about this one guy who was on the street corner who was just like this, one of those amazing orator prayers who was like, God, uh, God is like two syllables. I don't know if you've heard those people when they say that. And then he talks about this other guy who, was, who, was, who just didn't have a lot to offer, but he's beating his chest and he's crying out to God and he says, that guy over there, not the eloquent one over here, this is the one that God hears and he will go home justified and satisfied in his prayers. You have the permission, you have the freedom to be messy and eloquent in your prayers because it's not about your words, it's about God and it's about the faith that we have in him. And so just start somewhere. I promise over time, if this is not something you've done, you'll learn some more words. It'll be easier for you, just like anything is, the more we do it. But give yourself the freedom to start, to be messy, to be an eloquent, but to do it from your heart. And finally, pray now. Right in the moment. Don't wait. Also pray later. But don't just say, I'll be praying for you. Say, can I pray right now? Because when we begin to practice that, the things that are important to us are the things that we prioritize. And the things that are really important, that are urgent, we do right now. And so I would love for us to become a church where everybody knows this and does this, starting with me. And it becomes a value for who we are, that we go to God in every moment, trusting that he's at work. And he wants to work on our behalf because we pray now and not later. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for my friends here. I thank you that you do hear us. You don't just hear us when we're eloquent or when it's me on a microphone in front of the church or someone else. You hear our heartfelt prayers. You hear our silent cries. You hear all of the ways that we cry out to you. I pray we would be a church where we depend on you so much first, and yet we work hard and we use the gifts and the talents and the intelligence and the skills that you've offered to us, but where we put you out in front of that first. Would we be a church where prayer isn't just something we do in special meetings and special gatherings and at special times, but as the scriptures say, that we would always be found praying. We would pray without ceasing. That would be a turning point as we enter into this fall season where we begin to do this together. God, for those of us who are a little cynical about this, and sometimes I would count myself as one of those cynical people, would your spirit renew our hearts? Would give us, give us the courage to take a chance again? Would you meet us along the way? We thank you that it's you who does the work. And when we begin to do this together, we find freedom, we find hope, we find joy. Our peace is restored. And we continue to walk with you together. I thank you for our time. And I do pray all of these things in Jesus' name.